Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would. We always love hearing from folks and hearing the questions and predicaments and <laughs> Yeah, different different perspectives of around the country. And things there you go. North are different than things down south with automobiles. Well, that's right. I hear a lot of guys up north who actually work on cars all the time. And, of course, one of their biggest problems is corrosion. Oh, most definitely. You know, everything just tends to rust up because of the cold. They have to have salt on the roads to melt the ice and that sort of thing. It causes a tremendous amount of corrosion, which vastly complicates not only repairing the car, but how long you can keep the car. Sure. Because corrosion is one of those things that if you let it eat the car away, it's not going to be repaired. Right. There's nothing there to work with. Mm -hmm. It's all gone. And, of course, that's almost unheard of in the South. We just don't really see it much. No, we don't. We have a few vehicles come in from the North. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. may transfer to the South to live for a job or something, and they'll bring their car with them. And we get a few through the shop every once in a while. Mm -hmm. and. And really, there's nothing there to work with. Yeah, you can always tell immediately who is from the north and who is not. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's pretty obvious. Now, I think out west, they don't have much trouble with that either. In fact, probably even less trouble with that. Right, because uh, they even have less humidity out there, so mm-hmm. less moisture to, to make metal rust. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those little things. But uh, give us a call. It's 291-6901. And, of course, if you don't want to call in or something occurred to you during the week. Or maybe even after we go off the air today, we spark an interest and you want to know a little bit more about a certain topic, you can always go to our website. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Mm-hmm. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the little form and send it in. It couldn't be any easier. That's right. You get to it. I'll get an answer right on back to you. Of course, take a look around. It tells you a whole lot about the automotive business in general and things that happen and a lot about our business as well. Correct. A lot of folks don't realize that we actually own a shop. Okay. <laughs> say, well, I thought you guys were just on the radio. <laughs> no, no. We own and operate a shop, Agco, and uh-huh. we work on cars every day, and that's where the experiences we talk about on the radio come from. Correct. So pop on there. It's Agco agcoauto.com a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com we think you'll really like it and we really like you going there there you go let's go to our phone lines with brenda good morning brenda i have a, a 2012 honda civic okay and i'm going along on the highway driving and my car seems to stall at around 25 45 an hour it's like it's gonna kill really you put your feet on the accelerator and it'll zoom off but supposing I'm trying to pass somebody and start, you know, want to stall. I mean, what could that problem be? Brenda, if you will hold on just a second, I, I'm getting a lot of background noise. Turn your radio down so I can hear you better. If it's a 2012, I would think you would still be under warranty. Now, if it's just like a bog as you accelerate and then it kind of picks back up, one of the most common things on that is a part called the airflow meter. And it's a little apparatus on the air horn that tells the engine how much air is going into the motor. A lot of times those will get dirty and you'll get that characteristic bog when you accelerate and take off again. That can often be cleaned. It doesn't have to be replaced. Of course, if it's bad enough, it may have to be replaced. But I would check that first because that kind of sounds like what you're talking about. Now, if you're under warranty, I would check with the guy who sold you the car and see if it's not covered because that may be very well covered under your warranty. That's normally going to be at least three years or 50,000 miles. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, but does that sound kind of like what you're talking about? Yeah, but what about the stalling, like it's going to kill on you? I mean, it's kind of a relative term. It actually bogs all the way down and starts bucking or something, or what's it actually doing? 
you know, it just just stops like it's going to stop, but it don't stop. It just like it stalls, and then it you accelerate and it zooms off. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked, you know what the tachometer is, the little gauge that says RPM? Not sure, though. Okay, well, next to your speedometer is another gauge that says RPM on it. It's a tachometer. Uh-huh. What you might want to do is watch the tachometer when this occurs. See if the tachometer rises and the miles per hour don't. In other words, if you mash the gas and that little gauge goes up, then that okay. means the engine's actually running, but the transmission is not putting the power to the wheel. So the sensation to you as a driver is going to be exactly the same. The car is just not going to go. Uh-huh. But if, indeed, the RPM are rising then that means you've got something like a transmission problem. Not necessarily a bad transmission. It could just be a little low on fluid. Now, if the RPM actually drop, then it means the engine's bogging down. Uh So, again, it could be a case of the airflow meter. It could be bad enough to where it's just bogging completely down. Another thing would be like a misfire of the engine where when you go to load it, it's just causing a misfire. The key is going to be to watch that tachometer and see if the RPM rise or if they fall when this occurs. If you could notice that and call me back and let me know maybe next week, I could probably point you a lot closer. Okay, then. All righty. Thank you. Thanks, Brenda. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Dale online. Good morning, Dale. Good morning. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. I got a question. It's kind of an old school question. Okay. I have a I have a eighty eight GMC Jimmy. It's a little small SUV. Yes, sir. And the guy I bought it from swapped in a, a late eighties V eight out of a truck in it with a seven hundred horsepower transmission. Okay. The transmission was bad, so I had one on hand. I put in it, but I need to know how to adjust the TV cable on the carburetor of that. It's carbureted. How do I adjust the TV cable where I don't hurt my transmission? Yeah, I wish you'd call last week, Dale, when Josh was in the shop. He could oh, ask okay. that for you a whole lot easier than I can. <laughs> I know that that actual adjustment is pretty critical, and if it's not yes, adjusted sir. properly, you can burn the transmission up really, yes, really that's quick. What I'm worried. That's why I'm mm-hmm. worried that that may be what happened to the original transmission. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I believe, as a general rule, when the throttle is all the way closed, that cable ought to be all the way relaxed. In other words, if you don't want any slack in it, but you don't want to have it actually pulling. And as you start to accelerate, obviously, it needs to pull open. And as it pulls open, it raises the pressure to the clutches. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to send me an email, I will try to get in touch with Josh. At worst case, on Monday morning, I'll talk to him, and I can get you an exact procedure on that. Okay. Because okay. I'm just not that familiar with it, other than I know it is an absolutely critical Adjustment. I wouldn't drive the vehicle until you oh, I'm get not, that. I'm driving it. That's why I'm not driving it at the time right now. I don't need to have to drive it. It's, a, it's like a second vehicle. Great, great. I yeah. just want to try to get it right before I drive it. Yeah, right. go to the website and go to the contact feature and just send me an email. I'll try to look it up in service data. If I can find it there, I'll get you an answer right back. If not, Monday morning, I'll ask Josh and I'll get him to get it Okay, right, what's no answer. big rush. Uh, what's your email address? Well, just go to agcoauto.com and hit contact. Okay. All right. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, Dale. Thanks for calling, man. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. 
Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you're joining us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We sure love you to spend some of your Saturday morning with us. Call us up. Get a to-the-point answer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let us know what's going on. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Let's see. We're going to line with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got kind of an unusual question, uh, kind of out of the ordinary. Okay. I've got a brother-in-law that just recently uh, put his truck in the ditch, okay. and it was a pretty deep ditch, and it turned over on its passenger side. Okay. Wheels kicked out, and I know he's got some linkage problems yes, uh, on that passenger front wheel, mm-hmm. but it took about two hours for the records to get it out of the ditch. He's not started it yet. The insurance adjuster has looked at it. What should a mechanic look to do before he tries to turn the engine over? Now, he knows he's got some battery acid that's yes. leaked out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to have to be neutralized. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, Mike, get it cranked up, what should we look at? Well, the first thing I'd do is, like you just said, I would neutralize all that acid because that sulfuric acid will just eat. If it gets on an air conditioning line or something, which is aluminum, it'll go right through it. I mean, it'll take a matter of days. So i get in there with a big, big bag of baking soda and sprinkle the whole area down and hose it good and do that three or four times. Let's get that cleaned up first. Next thing you want to do is pull all the spark plugs out of the engine and crank it over a few times because when it lays on its side like that, all can run past the rings because the pan is now level with the cylinders, run into the cylinders. And if you even get a couple of tablespoons of oil in a cylinder, when that piston comes up on the compression stroke, it's not going to compress. So now you got a bent rod in the engine, so you got a much, much bigger problem on your hand. So go ahead, pull all the spark plugs out, crank it over, make sure the engine is clear. After you do that, I would probably go ahead and just change all in it just to have a good starting point on it. Also, take a good look at the spark plugs when they're out. See if any of them are coated with all, because if all got past the rings while it was laying on its side, it may have fouled the plug and it may not want to start. So those are things, type of things I would be looking for. Make sure the transmission is full of all, because again, when it lays on its side, there's a vent on top. You may have lost some transmission fluid. And that's going to be one of those things you're going to more or less have to have it running before you can check that properly. Go to my website and just click on check transmission fluid. It'll give you the procedure for checking that properly. It's not that difficult, but the engine has to be warmed up, has to be running, has to be on level ground, and it needs to be in park when you check it. But make sure that the trans is full. I would also check the rear differential, make sure it's still full of oil. And you may even want to pull the brake drum off on the side that was down to make sure all didn't run past that seal and get all over the brakes. Okay. So these are the kinds of things that I would do. Now, as far as suspension damage, the best investment you'll ever be able to make is to bring it to a suspension specialist, someone who has the tooling and equipment to check all that, because you can look at it till you're blue in the face. We do that work at AGCO. That's our specialty. Okay. And I get cars in every single day that someone's changed this, they changed that, they changed the other, still won't line up, and they got no clue why. And we go in with jigs and stuff that we've got that can measure it. We find a bent spindle or a bent control arm or a bent steering arm or on and on and on and on and on. So 
that's kind of down the road from the other stuff we were talking about. You got to get it running first, but when you get it running and you drive it down the street, if the steering wheel is not perfectly centered like it was before, it was not sitting at twelve o'clock. You got some damage, something bent, because there's nothing in there that can slip. Nothing slotted, nothing is going to move. So if the steering wheel is no longer centered, something has moved and likely something is bent. It's time okay. to get that to a suspension shop. Right, and like Lewis was saying, uh, suspension parts. Also suspension points, which is frame points, where the suspension actually attaches to the frame. I've seen those get bent because they're not designed to take a load on a side like that. Right. They're, right. they're designed to run straight down the road. And you get a bent point. You'll throw the suspension off, which will make it pull, or the steering wheel is going to be off center, or tire wear, or something like that. So, yeah, and yeah somebody knows what they're looking watch, at. If you go to just a regular old alignment shop who's not familiar with that kind of stuff, what they'll do is they'll go in and crank the adjustments all the way one way, all the way the other way, and maybe even get it to line up. But the problem is, you still got bent suspension points, and I hear, and so it's going to manifest later as other problems. Right, I hear this all the time. Well, it's in the green. Yeah. Well, that don't mean jack. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. If, if it's way, it was in alignment before, so if it's way out now, something's, something's moved. Bent. Yeah. So it's a matter of finding the parts that are wrong and then putting it back. And that way, all your adjustments will be in the middle, particularly if it's going to be an insurance deal. You want to get it covered under the insurance claim. You don't want to find out three years from now that you've eaten up two sets of tires and it's because you got a bent lower control arm mount. Now you ought to, you know, any warranties you would have had from the insurance claim. Well, I appreciate all the advice. You and your program, very, very informative. Thank you so much. Bye, Mike. Well, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive out, we would absolutely love to have you. We get that in all the time. Mm -hmm. I actually had one come in from the body shop the other day. They took it down the street, and when he got it back, the guy told him it lined it up. Well, it's all in the green. Yeah. And it took me... Four or five hours to straighten it all out where it would actually line up. That's right. Well, and drive straight. Line up correctly because turning one adjustment to the maximum one way, the other adjustment to the maximum the other way, and getting a little light turn green on the machine is that, not the same as no, lining the car. It's not. You know, uh, that comes from a lack of understanding on the part of a lot of folks who are doing that type of work. And I can't really fault them in many cases because what happens, some shops suffer a lot of turnover. Uh-huh. And maybe at one point in time, there was someone there who kind of was trained to do this work. And then he kind of showed another guy. He was leaving, so he had two weeks. He showed him two weeks of how to do it, so he right. started doing it. And then the next guy, he left, so he took two weeks and showed another guy. And, then you know, this kind of stuff takes years to sure. learn and master. Sure. And so what happens, by the time you go through this cycle three or four times – You've lost everything that was there to begin with. He just doesn't know the basics at all. All he knows is turn this until that turns green. Exactly. And now it's in line, but it still pulls, so I don't know what's wrong. Right. you got to take it somewhere else. Yeah, and that's (laughs) a real shame, but that's just kind of – and I'm not picking on the automotive business per se because just about every business out there suffers from the same thing. Right. Lots and lots of turnover. Rarely do you see a business where people start there and stay there and retire there. Sure. I mean, ours certainly is that way, but it's sort of the exception to the rule. I mean, even when you go into fine restaurants, you go in one week and you go back two months later and you'll see a bunch of different waiters in there. Or different cooks. The food tastes different now. Everything else. That's one thing I like about some of the fine restaurants in New Orleans. We go into Antoine's a lot because we like that restaurant. Uh And we've got a waiter down there. And Renee has been there. I've been going 10 years. He's been there for 10 years. And he was there a long time before I started going. So when you 
see that kind of consistency, then you're probably going to get a much better service in this particular establishment, sure. whether it's an automotive shop or a restaurant or whatever it hairdresser or whatever, because you got that consistency of service and you got people who are trained and they stay there and they do the job long enough to actually learn how to do it. To understand how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the big, big, big things. And that's not only on wheel alignment, but that's on everything car. Oh, definitely. I find that what we see a lot are the simple things that people really, really mess up on because a lot of times maybe they get training on the more advanced stuff right? because they maybe have no idea at all how to do this, so they'll get them some training on that. But no one has ever sat down and really trained them how to fix a flat properly. <laughs> you know, or uh, how to torque a bolt or why, why you use why a fine thread on this application and coarse thread on this application. Mm-hmm. And why the shank is reduced on this bolt and is straight on this bolt. They just have never, ever, ever been taught any of those things. Right. And so they don't have any idea what viscosity is on oil and why you have different viscosities. So to a guy that doesn't know any of that, it's really not important to him. Sure. If you don't know, then it don't matter. It's mind or matter. <laughs> well, and, and stuff you may have learned 10, 15 years ago that you thought you knew has changed. That's right. Very, very, very much so. And, and some people just don't keep up with them. Yeah. It, if you don't know the fundamentals, the basics, then chances are the bigger stuff is going to kind of start slipping through your fingers as well. Right. Because if you do a absolutely perfect job of checking this check engine light and you find this and this and this is correct and you replace the part, but you put the bolts back in the wrong places. In other words, you put a reduced shank bolt where a standard shank bolt goes and that bolt breaks and the part falls off, have you really done a good job? Right. Well, most people already know. (laughs) Exactly. And that kind of stuff, those little small, like they always say, the devil's in the details. Details. And that's where it's so important. When we train an alignment guy, and of course we haven't had to do that in 20 years. Yeah, 25 (laughs) years. But I always like to start him out with a bubble gauge and a toe stick. Uh Uh-huh. And let him use that until he actually understands what he's doing. He sees what camber is. He understands how caster relates to camber. He knows what toe is, what toe in and toe out is. He knows what tracking is because he's physically seen it. He's Mm -hmm. measured it. And then once he has all that down 100% correct, now you can move him over to a computerized machine and it will make him much faster because it's going to do some of the things for him. It's going to automate some of the processes for him. But if he starts out on an automated machine and he does not understand the fundamentals. Right. He doesn't understand what the calculations and measurements do or how they affect one another. Mm -hmm. Then he's setting it in the green and calling it a day. Well, that's right. And let's say, for instance, he sets caster within specifications, but he's got it all the way on the high end of the range. Because Uh the range might be two degrees to three degrees. Well, let's say he sets both wheels on three degrees. Well, now, what he doesn't realize is that when you increase the caster, it's going to increase the toe. Correct. Because the caster's pushing in on those two wheels, so now you need less toe. So if he sets the toe to maximum, it's going to eat the outside of front tires. Now, everything is technically in specification. But by having the caster set to the high end of the range, you would have to have taken the toe to the low end of the range. Right. And he didn't know that, so he set everything one way. All the lights turn green. But it eats up tires on the outside. And he can't figure out why. He can't figure out why. Because he doesn't understand what he just did. No, doesn't understand any of the ramifications, doesn't understand the angles, doesn't understand how they interrelate one with another. Another example might be he's got the left front wheel set to two degrees, the right front wheel set to three degrees. 
Well, both of them are in specification. Right. But, but now the car pulls left. Exactly. Because caster's going to pull to the side that's lower. Well, if he only understands that I've got to turn until everything's green, now it's in spec, he doesn't know why it's pulling. Right. Another example, again, would be he's got the camber set to one degree on the left front wheel and, say, zero on the right front wheel. Got the caster set properly and toe set properly. Again, the car is going to pull to the left because camber is going to pull to the more excessive side. Right. So you have to understand not only what the numbers are, you have to know what they mean, and you have to also know how they interrelate one to another. And not only that, computerized machines are not infallible. No. They do go out every once in a while. They have to be recalibrated. And if you know that, if you know how to use a toe stick, you can actually check behind the machine to make sure it's you reading can right. Verify it, and then you say, "Hey, something's wrong." Right. You can actually it's time to recalibrate. Find out what's wrong. Right. And the exact same things apply to every facet of auto repair. For instance, if you are checking a check engine light, and let's say you've got an oxygen sensor code and a lean code, and the vehicle's hard to start and misfiring. Okay. Okay. Well, what an amateur might do is first go in, put an oxygen sensor on it. Of course. Does absolutely no good at all. Then he says, well, it's lean, so maybe the intake gas, so he puts intake gaskets on it, was well, still the same situation. Well, he says, well, the airflow meter is reading improperly, so he changes the airflow meter. Still got the same exact problem. What he does not do is he hasn't checked the fuel pressure. And what is occurring in this particular case is that the fuel pump is below specification right. it is running it it's, does have fuel pressure it's actually going out and it's not producing enough pressure right let's say it requires 57 psi to run properly and it's got 50 psi okay well it's running but it's going to run lean because the injectors are not squirting the proper amount of gas because the pressure on them is low correct there's your lean code now the oxygen sensor is going to indicate a lean situation because it is a lean situation right so again, he's probably changed eight nine hundred dollars worth of stuff that he did not need to change, and still has the same problem. Still has the same problem because he did not understand how the system works. Had he understood how this system works, the first thing he would have done is check fuel pressure. Correct. Then he would have seen fuel pressures off. And that would have led him. Then next thing he has to do fuel volume. Right. And on then he has to check the voltage at the fuel pump because again, let's say we've got a corroded up terminal and the voltage going to the pump is low. That's going to lower the pressure. Sure. So low pressure doesn't mean the pump is bad. It just tells you where to start looking. And then those symptoms would accommodate a low fuel pressure problem. That's right, which might set an oxygen sensor code, might set an airflow meter code, might set all sorts of codes. Right. But without understanding the fundamentals, you can go way, 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 oh, wrong. way wrong. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break, but we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Call her what you want to know. Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. 
welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altisand, with Mr. Brian Terry, and thanks for listening. We always enjoy all our listeners. If this is your first time listening, they're talking about cars and car problems, and you give us a call. Any problem you have with your car, do you want a little more information on, we can answer it for you. That's right. This is a live show every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. That's right. And best thing is to call in early during the show because towards the end, generally, we have a lot of folks who call right at the end of the show and we don't get to their calls. Right. Because we have to be out here right at 11. So right now, we've got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Yeah, be, be a great time to call. That's right. And speaking of calling, we have several first-time listeners here. We've got Nigel from the UK. Okay. Thank you for listening. We've got Bob from California. Okay. Thank you for listening. We've got Glenn from Virginia, mm-hmm. and we've also got Jamaru from Kweeki, Zimbabwe. There you go. Yeah. These are all people who sent email to me this week and said that they were just picked up the podcast uh-huh. and started listening. So we always enjoy our international listeners and our national listeners and our local listeners as well. We do. Always like hearing from you. And you, know, you send me an email and let me know that you're calling. I'll give you a little shout out there. There you go. Got we, another email. We do. We Steve from Georgia's got a 06 Jeep. And he was thanking us for absolutely found our podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was listening. And he just had a question about magnets. Uh-huh. He wanted to know if he put a magnet on the oil pan, would it help? catch any of the debris that's floating around in the oil yeah and certainly it's not going to hurt i'm not sure exactly how effective it would be because most of the debris like you said is floating in the oil so uh-huh. it's kind of away from the pan bottom when the engine's running it may help with some well most of your factory pans have a small magnet on the end of the drain plug a lot of them do yes and that also helps to catch metallic debris that's floating around not only does it catch it but when you take the drain plug out mm-hmm. you can actually see what's stuck to it that's right so if you have just like a smudge mud type deal you're probably okay but you start seeing big chunks of metal stuck to that magnet that's it's right. time to, to start looking deeper yeah you know you got a problem and that could be from the bearings that could be from the timing chain that could be from the rocker arm uh-huh. or the camshaft or who knows where but the point is, when you start seeing metal on that little magnet, it's, it's a problem. And the same thing with the magnet in your rear differential. If you see metal on that, you, right. you know you got a problem. But what I was telling the gentleman from Georgia is that what's actually as effective as well is when you drain the oil, you want to allow that oil to drain as long as you possibly can. Right. Ours is best. And, I mean, it doesn't even hurt to let it drain. If you change your own oil, let it drain off overnight. You know, right. go, out, go out in the afternoon, pull the plug out, put your pan under, let it drain all night. Go back in the morning, put your plug in. Fill it back up. The longer that oil runs out and drains, the more of the heavy debris is going to find its way. The gravity is going to pull it to the bottom, and it's going to come out the pan. Uh-huh. And that's what we're really trying to accomplish with an oil change is to get that debris out of the engine. Right. You're not trying to do this as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. This is something that really you can either do it cold Mm-hmm. Or you can do it after the engine has been running. Mm-hmm. But there's two different procedures. Right. If you do it cold, then you actually have to let that engine sit and let that oil drain because it's thick right now. It'll be a lot thicker and it's going to run and down it's gonna a lot take, more. Right. It's going to take a lot more time for that oil at the top to get down to the pan to get out. Mm-hmm. Now, whereas if you heat it up, mm-hmm. the oil is a lot more fluid mm-hmm. and thinner, and it will actually flow faster and drain out the pan. That's right. And most mechanics I know recommend changing the oil with the engine hot. I know it's more inconvenient because you're working on something that's hot, but they claim that it's going to drain a lot faster. And of course, most mechanics do not have the luxury of sitting there letting it drain for several hours. Right. Because they're in a shop environment. And number one, that wouldn't be safe in a shop environment because if you leave that plug out and somebody else comes along, jumps in the car and drives off, (laughs) we have a big, big problem. So they want to get the oil drained, get the plug back in, torque it down, know that that's finished before they move on to the next step. And they just can't stand around for two hours waiting for that to happen Uh like you can when you're at home. So that's one reason I do advocate 
changing your own oil sure. when, when possible, unless you just don't like it or don't have the facilities to do right. it. Right. Just make sure you're using the correct weight oil that goes in the engine, mm-hmm. and a factory filter is best. That's right. That way you know you're getting a good filter Well, with a factory filter. you got a Nissan, you buy the filter from Nissan. If you got a Toyota, buy it from Toyota. And they're not that, much different, not that much difference in price from the dealer. In some cases, there's no difference. They're about the same price. But some of the oil filters that are on the market today, particularly if you're buying from a parts or a mass merchandiser uh-huh. or a grocery store or whatever, some of those are really, really, really substandard. They are. Some of the big brand names out there are really substandard. Right. Some of the stuff that was great several years ago is just junk now. Right. And you go on the website, just type in the word oil filter. There's an article on that very topic. With pictures and everything. I see you got another email there. I do. We have Tyler from California. He's got a Ford Focus. Mm -hmm. And he said that when he's driving the car, when it's idling, said sometimes the idle will drop down on it, and sometimes it'll pick up, and then sometimes it'll drop and just die. Okay. And he was curious about what he could go through to maybe clean or figure out what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Of course, one of the most common reasons for that to happen is a part called an idle air control valve and they uh-huh. might call it control servo they might control a valve depending on what manufactured it is but what the idle air control valve does is that because the throttle body is fixed at idle if it needs more rpm what it does it opens up allows a little more air to run into the engine now the second that that air enters the engine the mixture starts to lean out so the o2 sensors are going to pick that up and the airflow meter is going to pick it up and it's going to add additional fuel to match it Correct. When that happens, the speed of the engine is going to come up. So that's how it actually increases RPM. Another way that it does it is by varying the ignition timing. It'll actually, the computer will vary the ignition timing slightly, which can help control idle. That'll cause the speed up and slow down slightly. So idle today is controlled by the PCM, and that's the number one way. Now, also, what can happen is let's say you've got a vacuum leak on the engine so for whatever getting, reason. You're getting more air into the engine than it realizes. That's right. It it's getting unmetered air. It doesn't know this air is entering the engine. Correct. It may know there's a lean situation, but it doesn't know why. So what is going to happen is that when it sees an excessively lean situation, it may speed the engine up because it may add fuel to try to match the air to keep the engine from leaning out too much. The RPM will start to come up, but then the idle servo will shut it back down because the PCM is saying now we're idling too fast. Uh-huh. So it's kind of surging up and down, up and down, up right. and down. That can cause that surge because what's happening is you're fighting the idle control system by allowing unmetered air into the engine. So that would be found by going around checking for a vacuum leak. Sometimes you can find that just by listening very carefully. You hear the air hissing. Right here, whistling going going in. Mm -hmm. Now, a vacuum leak can also set several different codes that have nothing to do with a vacuum leak. That's absolutely right. And you could go way wrong there. Well, yeah, sometimes it may set a mass airflow meter code because it knows the air that's in the engine does not match what the mass airflow meter says should be there. So it may flag a mass airflow sensor code. Well, if you just go get the codes read and you say, oh, well, that's what's wrong. It says the mass airflow meter. Yeah, that's a couple hundred dollar part. At least. Some of those are four and five hundred dollars. Right. And... The one you get, if you go to a parts store, may not be as good as the one you're taking off. Exactly. Because you may get a cheap rebuilt one, and you had a good part on there. You put it on, you got exactly the same problem, or worse, or you worse. got another problem, because now you do have a bad mass airflow meter. Uh-huh. And if you traded your old one in as a core, it's gone. now you really got a problem. Right. So you don't want to take those codes literally. Of course, a very common code is to set a oxygen sensor code because the oxygen sensor is now out of range 
Right, because it's seeing more air than it's supposed to. That's right. So it sets an oxygen sensor code. I've also seen it set a throttle position sensor code. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in in rare instances can set an accelerator pedal position code. It just depends on how the guy wrote the programming Mm -hmm. to between the manufacturers and even between models. Well, yeah. Well, if this particular model, the air leaks in, the oxygen sensors pick it up, they add additional fuel, the servo doesn't pick up the speed enough, so the engine RPM increases, it doesn't shut down, then it's just going to pick it up as an erratic idle. It knows it's idling too fast, so it may flag a idle servo code, it may flag a throttle position code, it may Mm -hmm. set an accelerator pedal position code, because all it knows is the idle is wrong and it can't control it. Right based on the factors that it knows, but it has no way to know that now you got a vacuum leak. Exactly. So that's where a technician would come in testing all those different parameters before he makes a diagnosis so you don't go spend a bunch of money on stuff you didn't need. And, of course, finding a vacuum leak, the absolute most effective way we use in the shop is called a smoke machine. It is a wonderful, wonderful product. Yeah, this machine actually uses nitrogen to pressurize the intake system on the car and it puts smoke in, and the smoke will leak out where the, where there's a leak because Correct. air's coming out the same as air's going in. So it allows you to visually see where the air is. Another thing we have is a very sensitive microphone that we can go around the base, and we can pick up on the sound, like an ultrasound type uh-huh. device, where we can actually hear where it's leaking. So these are the ways that you go about fixing it. Once you fix the vacuum leak, then all the other problems go away. Correct. So you didn't have to change all those other parts. And a whole, whole lot cheaper to go ahead and pay someone to check that properly and avoid unnecessary expense. Most definitely. Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thanks yes. for taking my call. Well, thanks for calling. I have a 2000 Honda Accord. Okay. And the cruise control quit working on it the other day. Okay. I've checked the fuse on it, which is good. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the little button on your dashboard to the left, when you push that in, the little green light comes light on. Okay. Okay. It will not engage. Hmm. Had any ideas? There is a switch on the brake pedal. There's two switches down there. One of them's a brake light switch, and one of them's a cruise control switch. And there is a little plastic button that goes on the base that that switch contacts. Mm-hmm. Like a little cushion. And that little button will break or come loose. And the pin goes right through the hole then, and it doesn't... So it thinks uh, the brakes are applied. Right, it thinks the brakes are applied, so it won't set the cruise control. And it won't turn the brake lights on either, because two different switches. Now, if you've looked, you can look on the floor. It's usually laying on the floor mat or something. A little, a little round. gray button, it's a little bit smaller than yeah. a dime. And you wonder, what in the heck is that? Right, that's where it came from. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would certainly be a common thing. And you got to get on your back and crank oh, yeah, your neck. And I, I've been in there before. Now. Yeah, look yeah. up on there and see if that little button is maybe missing, because that is very common. If the one on the brake light switch falls off the brake lights stay on if the right. one the cruise control falls off the cruise, the cruise doesn't, doesn't work. work and that is certainly yeah. the least expensive because those things are about two dollars from honda and takes about 10 minutes to pop another one in there and you, i've seen all kind of things glued to that little bracket saw one the other day had two dimes glued to it <laughs> that probably cost almost as much as the part probably so. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying down there on that brake pedal there's two switches on yeah there it is there's a cruise two little switch, round switches and there's also going to be the brake light switch so look all the way up and see if that little piece is missing that is certainly one of the things now obviously the switch itself can malfunction the little computer that runs it can malfunction the servo yep. that operates it can malfunction but those not common items and that little that little button in the brake yeah. pedal is pretty common so check that and see if that doesn't clear it up for you well i certainly will a little sure sure thank you all right, all right now thanks Kyle. enjoy your show well thank you thank you bye-bye mm-hmm. 
All right, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we're back with a lot more information and a lot more fun. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you $30,000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about $2,500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about $1,200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. You just joined us in the Automotive Hour final segment, and we got Mr. Brian Terry and myself, Louis Altazan. Any automotive questions you might have, you go ahead and give us a call, and we're going to the phone lines to talk to our roving reporter, Mr. Bob McCarron. Hey, hey good morning, Louis and Brian. I'm just Bob McCarron down here on my Impala SS at Cruising the Coast, and David Hart's riding with me. We haven't found anybody famous to talk on the phone yet. <laughs> well, you're kind of famous yourself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We've been going in between sites here. We just left Edgewater, and uh, cars are starting to collect there. It's all beautiful 1954 Buick Skylark. You know, wow. that was a special edition Buick back then, convertible. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And they have a lot of collector cars, uh, rat rods, sports cars, anything you can think of here. Now, this now, is cruising the coast. A lot of people don't know what that is, but this is down between with Biloxi and Gulfport. And this is once a year, and I mean, this goes on for an entire week, right? Right. Yes, and uh, I'll let David talk a little bit because uh, he's been down here a number of years, and he usually stays the whole week, gets here before I get here on Friday. <laughs> and uh, he'll tell you it goes uh, where it extends along. Okay. Uh, one of my buddies came from uh, the Fort Worth area okay. every year and went to see the Beach Boys at the Beau Rivage last no night. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, the, they play a lot of 50s, 60s music uh, at you know, all the venues mm-hmm. where the bars are parked. Oh, yeah. It actually starts in Bay St. Louis. It goes all the wow. way to Ocean Springs. Wow. That's got to be for people who are not from this region. That's what, about 20 miles? Yeah, I think it's 30-something. Yeah, 30, 30 miles of cars. <laughs> wow. And this year there's over 7,000 registered cars, street wow. water all over the nation. Pretty much every state of the union is represented. Mm-hmm. And of course, that doesn't count all the people who just drove in with their nice cars just to, like right. y'all did. That's right. There's a lot of people that drive in and cars that are just nice cars, but they don't pay the registration fee. They just come down to take a look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going headed to Ocean Springs right now, which is, I like that venue the best because they have live oak trees and shops for the uh, ladies to shop in. and they shut. They shut the town down and let everybody park their cars right on the street, and it's like old town America. Wow. Cool. <laughs> That's great. And, of course, you got a good, good weekend. No rain in sight and not too, too hot. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not too hot. We're going to listen to Shawnana, I think, at 3. I go back to the Edgewater Mall and listen to them. They set up three bands, of course, and at all the venues, and different bands will be playing all day long. And it's wow. All for- yeah, for all the folks who've never been there, it's called Cruising the Coast, and this is every year about this time. 
every year, and it lasts a whole week. I think to actually enter our car, it's $90, mm-hmm. but they get a package that'll let you get in some of the places for free. Yeah. And like I say, it's a, it's a the biggest money-making event for the state of Mississippi each year. No kidding. To, wow. Yeah. How many years have you been going, David? I've been going probably for about eight years. Okay. When was Katrina? I'm forgetting. About eight years ago. Oh, five. Yeah. Okay, well, I've been going several years before Katrina. I was already coming. Mm-hmm. Of course, Katrina uh, kind of wiped out everything for everybody for a few years, but mm-hmm. the cars have all come back. We now, this year, they've got more registered cars than they ever had. It's about 7,000. So it just gets bigger every year. Bigger every year. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I think the interest in the old cars just across the country is just rising. I know we see so many of them at the shop nowadays. Just people love those old cars. Yeah, my buddy trailered his 38 Chevy two-door coupe over, and he left his in the original paint job. Of course, it's all faded out and got yeah, right. But well, a lot of people are putting a clear coat on that, this uh, kind of a dull clear coat uh-huh. to kind of hold it at whatever stage of rust it's. It's that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Makes it look original. He gets a lot. It is original. He gets a lot of uh, attention with that old car. I bet he does. Well, Dave, well, I sure appreciate you calling in. All right. Well, we we'll appreciate your show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, that's Bob McCarron and Dave from Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where right. the cruising the coast is going on. And, of course, like they said, it goes from Bay St. Louis to Ocean Springs. Ocean Springs, there you go. Right. And folks who aren't familiar with the Gulf South region, that's a pretty good stretch. So that highway is right on the coast. Yes, US I mean, 90. You, yeah, you can actually you can see the beach and, and everything right there on the coast. It's, mm-hmm. it's real, as close real to nice. the coast as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anymore, you'd be in the water. That's it. Real, real nice place for a car show. And that's getting just bigger and bigger and bigger every year it's it is gotta be one of the largest car shows in the united states now it is it's it's huge like he said cars come from all around the country just to go down there and look mm-hmm. at everybody else's cars that's right you know, well that's part of having an old car that's <laughs> look it. at everybody else's old car that's, let's see what i can do on my old car exactly <laughs> and like i was talking with david the interest in old cars and i think old things in general uh-huh. uh, across the united states has definitely risen here in the last few years i know i've been working on cars 45 years and it seems like i see more interest now in the old 50s 60s 70 model cars than ever before well there's so much more everybody's a lot of people are rebuilding them now mm-hmm. and there's so many manufacturers aftermarket manufacturers that are supplying parts now mm-hmm. back 20 years ago there wasn't probably half the parts you can get now take a 57 chevrolet right you can buy everything for that car except the a-pillar post and the windshield right Everything else has been yeah. reproduced. And of course, next month, you and I and the whole shop are going to the SEMA show Correct. in Las Vegas. And SEMA is Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. And that's the association of the groups of people who manufacture all these parts. Uh-huh. And just to give you an idea, that is one of the largest trade shows in the world. Right. Part of Automotive Industry Week in Las Vegas. This takes up two convention centers. Las Vegas Convention Center and the Sands Convention Center. It is huge. They're expecting oh, about 300,000 participants. Wow. So that just gives you some idea of how big. And this is strictly for the automotive industry. In right. Words, the general public is not allowed to go into this. Right. Because it's vendors and manufacturers and all that. and Shops and shop owners. That's right. They bring type. out new equipment and new training techniques and just various things that are available. And just to show how big that's gotten. Right. So I think people are just kind of looking for a simpler time. They enjoy the old cars, the simplicity of them. It's something they can tinker with themselves. It's something they can enjoy. 
a lot of folks who maybe they always wanted one right and they never got one when they were younger now they're reaching retirement age so maybe they got a little extra money well and they're not trying to use it time. For, for an everyday car either right it's you not, know this is an extra car so if it doesn't make it fixed by monday they can get in their other car and go to work or you know whatever it's not mm-hmm. like they're trying to use it every day whereas when i was coming up that was my daily transportation daily driver so right. it was kind of hard I was always fortunate because I've owned the shop for 40 years. I could bring mine to the shop and fix right. it. So I, I've had just about every cool car there ever was. I don't have any <laughs> desire to have another one. <laughs> I bet you I've probably owned 10 55 Chevrolets, three or four 57s, uh-huh. one or two 56s even. Not to mention Chevelles had a L88 Chevelle at one time. All right. uh, Novas. I've had just about every cool car I ever wanted. So I really don't have the urge to have another one. <laughs> I'm more than content working on everybody else's now. Uh, I tell you what, it, it takes a special, special person to be able to go to work, work on everybody else's cars, and yeah. then come home and work on your own. Isn't that the truth? Hey, I see we're just about completely out of time. I want to go ahead and tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to the great pod services and find the written ratings and give us a written rating. Yeah, give us a written review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever that'll move us up and so more folks can hear us hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend